What's up, freedom? <laughs> I always love it when I ask that. Some of y'all are just like, dude, I don't know. It's raining this morning, man. Hey, uh, glad y'all are here. The people that come to church on a day like this either really love Jesus or they had something planned outdoors today and they said, well, shoot, let's just at least go to church, you know. We can't go hiking up on Table Rock. Might as well go to church, see what they're doing over there. But I really am glad to see all of you here today. And uh, I'm glad to see you every week. But uh, today, especially, we're starting a new series of messages. And, uh, and we're calling it Him. And uh, not H-Y-M-N, like uh, old, you know, Tommy Him, but, uh, but H-I-M, because we're going to talk about God for a month. And you're thinking, okay, Cliff, we're going to talk about God for a month. Don't we talk about God every single Sunday here? Yes, we do. Every series we do is about God. But for this month, we're going to deal specifically about who God is, how He works, and how we're supposed to respond to Him. And, uh, and, and I, I hope you, you've, you felt the theme as we were singing those songs, that, that every, every song we were singing was talking about the, the greatness and the power and the mightiness of our God. Because we, we want to talk about that this month, and we want to talk about the fact that, that God is supreme and that, that we're supposed to respond to Him instead of the other way around. And we'll get into more of that in a minute. But, but, uh, but we are going to talk about that for, for an entire month. And the other thing, the other question you might have when we, when we say we're going to talk about God for a month is the other question might be, well, Cliff, don't you think everybody already knows kind of the basics of who God is and all that? And my answer to that is no. I don't think so. In fact, I think a lot of times we live in a society and we get a lot of input from a lot of different places that sometimes our thinking about who God is is part of it's based on the Bible, but then a lot of it's based on something we saw on TV or something someone said to you at work or something someone sent you in one of those cheesy PowerPoint emails, you know, that they tell you that if you really love Jesus, you'll send it on to everyone in your... By the way, if you ever send me one of those, let me show you what I do with it. Delete, all right? If, if you're going to challenge me and say, I don't love Jesus, if I send that on, I'm going to show you how much I love Jesus by deleting it. I'm just, I'm just that stubborn, but anyway. <coughs> well, y'all have gotten those too. I didn't expect that to bring applause this morning, so... But anyway, we, we, get all this, we get all this information about God, and so I think sometimes we think we know, uh, we, we assume that everybody knows the basics, but, but a lot of times that's not true. And, and, uh, and I tell you, the other thing I think about the, the subject of God, the topic of God that's interesting in our society, and I thought about it this week when I was watching Charlie Sheen, and let me tell you why I saw that. I don't know, how, how many of you saw Charlie Sheen on anywhere any, on the internet or on the news this week? Um, the thing about Charlie Sheen's interview that I thought was interesting is you could watch it. I, I felt like there was probably a couple different reactions people could have to it. One reaction would be, oh, I feel sorry for him. He's really, you know, messed up. The other reaction would be kind of like watching, a, um, watching America's Funniest Home Videos where people fall on their head. You're like, dude, I know that that's messed up, but I want to watch that again. You know, and you're, you're clicking it again to see what he says, you know, three or four times. That was what I was doing. And, uh, and so, but one of the things that I think we, everybody agreed on is when, whenever, whoever you were, when you saw that, probably the, one of the things you agreed on was, dude is nuts. You know, Charlie Sheen has lost his mind. 
And that, I think everyone, I don't think there's anyone that would have watched that and said, you know, I kind of see where he's coming from with the tiger blood and the Adonis DNA thing. I get that. I, I feel that myself. No, everybody saw that and they understood, okay, he's crazy, right? He's, he's completely nuts. And I thought about that when I thought about this topic of, of who God is because I think just like everybody could see that and say, Charlie Sheen's nuts, I think most people on the face of the earth, or everyone really, they think about God somehow. Now, what their opinions are about it might be varied, like your opinion was that maybe he's sad because Charlie Sheen's that way, or maybe it's funny to watch. I think that our opinions are very different, but I think all of us, no matter what your background is, what your upbringing is, no matter if you were in church, out of church, no matter if you're American or from another country, that, that God, the, the idea of who God is, somehow you want to deal with that internally. You want to think about that. You want to try to figure out what that is. And so we have questions. We have ideas. Some people have very strong opinions, very strong feelings about it. Some people are very anti what we would teach here today. Other people are very pro what we're going to teach here today. Um, there, you know, there's just a lot of, lot of opinion and things out there. But, and, and, but I think one of the things that sometimes we do when we think about God or people when they think about God is is they're not really certain in their opinions. How many of you have heard someone say something like this? Well, I like to think that God is like blank. Or they'll say something to the effect of, I've always believed that God is this. And it's almost as if people think if they say it enough times, then that'll make it true. If I just believe that God is going to love everybody and send everybody to heaven no matter what they do. If I just believe that hard enough, then that's going to happen. I think that's what some people think. And, and what, what, what people really seem to do is, is that we want to create God in our own image. But what does the Scripture tell us? The Scripture tells us that God has created us in His image. And we're going to deal with that specifically next week. But we try to reverse it, and we try to make it all about us and what we want to believe. And so we're going to talk for a, for a few weeks about who God is, what his nature is like, uh, how he's dealt with us, just the story of, of God from beginning all the way to what he's doing today. And so the first thing that I want you to know, the first basic truth that I think we've all got to grab a hold of that the Bible teaches us is this. There is only one true God. There is only one true God. I don't know if you've ever looked at statistics or polls that people do, but the, the large majority of Americans say they believe in God. Um, the, the, the people out there who claim to be atheists, who say they don't believe in anything at all, they are, they are way, way, way in the minority. So the, so the large majority of people say they believe in God. But saying that they believe in God does not necessarily mean they believe in the God of the Bible. Um, that, that can be very misleading. When you read that and you say, oh, look, 89% of Americans believe in God and you think that we're all just one big happy family and everybody believes exactly the way you believe and they read the Bible and all that kind of stuff. No, the, the, because the word God can mean so many different things to different people, it, they could have asked someone who's a Muslim and they'd say, absolutely, I believe in God. He's Allah. That's what they would tell you. Or they could ask someone else and, uh, and they would say, yeah, I believe in a God who is married uh, and, and he and his wife get together and they create spirit children. That's what the Mormons believe. And so, or someone else might say, yeah, I, I believe not only in one God, but I believe in millions of God. That's what the Hindus believe. And so, but, the, but all those folks would say that they believe in God. But that doesn't necessarily they believe in the one true God. See, the Bible teaches that while there are many gods out there, while there are many things that people will choose to worship, there is only 
one true God. There's only one God who's eternal. That means he's been here forever. There's only one God who is all-powerful. There's only one God who is worthy for us to obey him. And I'm going to read you some scriptures. And I'm going to just read one right after the other. So you don't have to turn to it in your Bible. You can just look at these on the, on the, uh, on the screen here. But I want to read you scriptures and show you how the Bible teaches from beginning to end, from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end, that there is one true God. Deuteronomy 4.35. This is in the Old Testament. It says this, You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him there is no other. No room for any other God. No room for, for a Hindu God that, you know, where you believe there's millions of others. There is no other. Deuteronomy 32.39 says this, See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal, and no one can deliver out of my hand. God himself, when he talks about himself, he says, I'm the only one. I'm the only true God that there is. 1 Samuel 7.22 says, How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. Isaiah 37.20. Now this is when the, the Israelites were about to be attacked by a king, and they were praying to God and saying, Deliver us from this king. And they said this, Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. And then we go to the New Testament, and this is Jesus, when Jesus was praying the, day, the night before he was going to be crucified, and this is what he prayed. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, the Apostle Paul wrote this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God has made it very, very clear that although there are a lot of people out there who worship a lot of different things and they all call them God, there is only one true God. The Old Testament, the Israelites called the one true God Jehovah. That's what they called him. Now today, very few of us, I doubt that you use that term. If you go to work and someone asks you if you're a Christian, you probably don't say, yes, I follow Jehovah. You probably don't do that. We probably, we talk about Jesus and we talk about God, but we don't use the Old Testament term. But back in the Old Testament, they used that, used that to distinguish from the other gods that other people were worshiping. And today, we've kind of lost some of that because we say, oh yeah, I follow God. And that could mean one of many different things. But there is only one God, and God has, and, and one, of, one of the things I want you to notice from that scripture is that I read, God's left no room for anybody else. So if you want to say, well, you know, I think there's a lot of different gods that people can worship, and it's all really the same thing. God hasn't left any room for that. And you see those scriptures we read went from the Old Testament all the way to the New. Deuteronomy, back during the days of the law when Moses was around, God said, I'm the only true God that there is. You move into the days of the prophets like Samuel and Isaiah, God still, same message, I'm the only true God. Move into the New Testament where Jesus is on earth, God still says the same thing, I'm the only true God. Jesus now, he, he's uh, been crucified, he's been resurrected, and he's ascended back into heaven, and the new church has started, and guys like Peter and Paul and John are leading the new church, and what does God say? Same thing, I'm still the only true God. It's never changed. From the first day of creation all the way to today, there is only one true God. How many of you have seen this, uh, this bumper sticker right here? Check this picture out. Have you all seen that? 
it's, uh, in case you don't understand what this is representing, it's represented in lots of different different religions. The the C is the is the Muslim star and crescent, and the the O is just a peace sign for you know hippie peace or whatever. And the E is let's all men and women get together, which I'm all for that. And and uh, the other is is the star of David, which is, represents Judaism. The I is like a pentagram, which I don't even really know. That's like some kind of weird satanic thing. Then the S is the yin and the yang, representing all kind of different Asian religions. And then the T represents the cross, the cross of Jesus. Now, let me, let me be real clear. I'm all for freedom of religion. In fact, that's why we can meet here today without fear of the police busting in here and having us arrested. That's why we can pay rent to a government-owned building and still meet here because of freedom of religion, which is great. And I don't have any problem that, that down uh, Wade Hampton Boulevard that there are Muslims meeting in a mosque down there. I'm fine with that. They need to have the freedom to meet. I don't have a problem that there are Jews meeting in synagogues all over the country. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with Mormons having their churches and Jehovah's Witnesses down the road here on Gap Creek Road. I don't have a problem with everybody having their own place to worship. But let me tell you what I do have a problem with and, and what the Bible does not support. There's an underlying idea behind this bumper sticker the bumper sticker does not just represent hey let's all just get along and everybody worship their own god the underlying idea behind this bumper sticker is this that all religions are the same that all gods are the same that's the underlying message behind it and let me tell you something what i just read to you in scripture that along with tons of other verses that i didn't read because we don't have time God, the one true God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, there is nothing that they have ever taught that tells us that this is okay, that, that, that all religions are the same thing. In fact, God continually taught, Jesus continually taught while he was here on this earth that there is one way and only one way to get to God. And that is through Jesus, and that is to worship the one true God. And you can't get there by being a Muslim or being a Hindu or being Jewish or anything else. All gods do not lead to the same place. The, the, the saying it's all good is not true when it comes to religion. It is not true at all. It is not all good. There is one good, and there's everything else that deceives you from the good. The good is the one true God of Scripture, and everything else will move you away from there. And see, a lot of times people want to say, well, hey, you know, it's just, it doesn't matter if you worship Allah or Buddha or a redwood tree or or the force, you know, that gives you Jedi powers. All of it's the same thing. And then you have, you know, then you have someone like, uh, uh, you know, there's an there's a afternoon talk show host who uh, said she was going off the air, but somehow she's still on the TV every afternoon, who uh, she created her own religion, you know, where you can go to her website and she's just like done like a Ryan's buffet and just taken, oh, I like this out of Judaism, I like this out, and just concocted it all and put it in a big pot and said, now worship this God that I've created out of my own imagination. All of that stuff will lead you astray from the one true God. God never gave you that option. Exodus 23, the very first commandment. God, you know, God says, I'm going to give ten rules, just ten basic rules for people to remember and, and to know how they're supposed to act. He could have made any one of them number one. But what does he make number one? You shall have no other gods before me he doesn't leave the door open for any god other than the one true god when i was growing up 
we went to the beach every summer, went to Garden City. We still do that with my family every summer. It's like eight weeks away. I can't wait. And, um, but, but we did that every, every summer. And, and uh, when I was growing up, there was a restaurant down in Myrtle Beach still there called Mammy's Kitchen. Anybody ever eat at Mammy's Kitchen, have breakfast at Mammy's Kitchen? And uh, when I was a kid, they had billboards up all over Myrtle Beach area that said, all roads lead to Mammy's Kitchen. I remember I used to see those when I was a kid. And I thought that was a kind of a funny idea, that all roads lead to Mammy's Kitchen. I think that a lot of us feel like, hey, all religions lead to the same place. It's like Mammy's Kitchen. It doesn't matter how you get there. As long as you're good to people and, and you find your path and you walk your path, it's all the same thing. That's not what the Bible teaches. You can't believe that and believe what the Bible says. You see, the one God is the only God who's eternal. The one God is the only God who's all-powerful. The one God is the only God with all knowledge. The one God is the only God who's responsible for your existence here on this earth. The one God is the only God who has the power to forgive your sins or the power to condemn us to spend eternity in hell if he so desires. It's all wrapped up in who he is. And so that's what we're going to talk about for this entire month, that there's only one true God. The second thing that I want you to know today, and there's really, there's really only two big points of today's message because I, I don't want us to get too far out where we can't understand everything. First is there's only one true God. The second one is this. The one true God exists in community. The one true God exists in community. Now, we need community as human beings. Even those of you people that say, you know what, I'm not a people person. I don't like to be around people. If you, were, if, if you had no relationships at all, if you were totally alone, you would eventually starve to death emotionally. You might not want to be around a lot of people, but you've got a small group. Maybe it's just your family. Maybe it's just your husband or your wife. Those are the only people you want to be around. But we, as human beings, God has created us to live in community with one another. We need relationships with other people. One of the reasons why we've been created that way as the scripture says, we were created in the image of God, and God exists in community. There's a fancy word for this that you've probably heard if you've grown up in church, and the word is the Trinity. The Trinity. Now, go look for the word Trinity in the Bible, and you will not find it, okay? And you're saying, wait a minute, Cliff. You say we're always supposed to read the Bible, and everything we teach is in the Bible. Yes, the, tri- the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept of the Trinity is all throughout the Bible. And what the word Trinity came from a long, long time ago, these guys that today we call the early church fathers, guys like Augustine and Origen and all these other dudes that lived just a, few, just a couple of hundred years after Jesus was on earth, those guys, they got together and they started reading through the scriptures. They recognized this idea and they said, we need to come up with a name for this so that people can know what it is and that we can teach it. And so they came up with the name the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is a difficult, it's difficult for us to understand, but, but let me try to explain it real, just with one statement, and, and I know that you're going to say, I still don't get it, and that's okay, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But the Trinity means this, that we have one God, just like we talked about, but that one God exists in three distinct person, three distinct personalities, and they, all, the, all three of those personalities, they're all fully God, they're all equally God, and they all work together and they are still one God now I know you're thinking okay Cliff I still don't really understand that and that's okay all right 
This is a hard concept to understand. In fact, I, I came across when I was reading, I came across a, a, a real wise guy who wrote this. He said that, that the, the, the idea of the Trinity is the most difficult thought the human mind has ever been asked to handle. It is not easy, but it is true. Now, I might get in trouble for what I'm about to say, but I kind of thought about it in terms of this. It's, men, it's kind of like you're never going to understand the mind of your wife. You're just not going to, all right? The women are not laughing, and they're glaring at me right now. But, but it's true, we're, because we're different. And, 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 but that doesn't mean I give up trying to understand Sherry, because uh, I'm married to her, and I want us to have a great relationship. I'm going to try my hardest to understand her. But I understand also, at the same time, there's parts of it I'm never going to fully get. And, and guys, you know, there's been times you thought, okay, I've got her figured out. I know what she likes. And then you do something, and then it's just not right, and you're thinking... I don't even know what I'm supposed to do anymore, right? And so that can be the same way it is with the concept of the Trinity. So whereas you think, one day you think, oh, I'm understanding this, I know it, and then all of a sudden your mind, you realize you can't grasp the bigness of this idea. And that's the way this concept is. The fact that God is three, but he's also one, and they all work together, it's really too hard for our brains to understand. But it's a true idea, and we need to continue to work at trying to understand it. Now, there's two things I want you to know about this concept of the Trinity. The first one is this. The Father, Son, and Spirit are one simultaneously. Simultaneously means at the same time, okay? The Father, Son, and Spirit are one at the same time. Now, let me tell you what, what we tend to sometimes do when we think about who God is as far as the Trinity. And it's kind of a natural thing, but it's not biblical. One of the things that we tend to do is, is we think, okay, I got it. God the Father was the one. He was at creation, and, and he was the one that was dealing with Moses and giving the Ten Commandments and all that stuff. And, and then he flooded the earth. You know, before that, he flooded the earth, and he did all that. And then, and then he spoke to the prophets and spoke through the prophets and, and all that kind of stuff. And then... When Jesus came to earth, God the Father kind of rode off in the sunset and handed the keys to the kingdom over Jesus and said, okay, Jesus, you're in charge now like a tag team. You know, he slapped him. God jumps out of the ring. Jesus jumps into the ring, right? And now Jesus is in charge now, and he's on earth. And, and, and so he, he does all his stuff, and he teaches, and, and, and he, uh, he, he, he does miracles, and, and he deals with the Pharisees, and he chooses disciples, and he, he establishes the church, and then he's crucified and resurrected and goes back to heaven. And then after he's gone, done, he says, okay, this is a three-man tag team match, and now I'm going to slap in the Holy Spirit. And they tag the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit jumps into the ring. Or if you were raised in a Pentecostal church, the Holy Ghost, right? And he jumps into the ring. And now the Holy Ghost is the one that he's the one that he speaks to us in our heart. He's the one that when we pray, you know, we, we deal with him. He's the one that helps us to interpret Scripture correctly. And he's the one who's still in charge today. And that they were all God, but they were God at different times. That's what we tend to do sometimes in our mind. That's not biblical. The Bible says that all three were present at creation. All three were present and active in the Old Testament. All three were present and active in the New Testament. All three are present and active today. They are three distinct personalities, but they are one God that works together all the time. The, one of the best places we can see the fact that they are all still active is in Matthew chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 3. If you don't, look on the screen. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. This is the story of when Jesus was baptized. Matthew 3, 
starting with verse 13. Now you're going to see in this story, Father, Son, and Spirit all active, all at work at the same time. It says this, Matthew 3.13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Okay, who's the one we see right now? Say it out loud. Jesus, right? The Son, okay? He's here. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. By the way, um, this is another sermon for another day, but this is why we do baptism the way we do it. This is why we do baptism and we dunk people under the water. This is why we encourage people that if you've already accepted Jesus, that that's great, but you need to be baptized so that you can take that public because if Jesus was baptized, we want to follow everything Jesus did. So uh, that's just keep that in the back of your mind for later on. So it says at the end of verse 15, then John consented. So John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. Now check this out, verse 16. Jesus is here, right? Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw what? Say it with me. The Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. So we got two out of the three. Here we go. We got two-thirds of the Trinity is present right now. Jesus, he's right here. He's just been baptized. The Spirit has descended out of heaven and is sitting on him in the form of a dove. All right? All we need is God the Father. Wouldn't it be awesome if he would show up now and do something? Check it out. Verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. All three present and active at the same time. So when we think about the concept of the Trinity, what God is, God is Father, Son, and Spirit, and He is Father, Son, and Spirit simultaneously at the same time. Working today in your life is all three. Just like all three were working in the six days of creation at the beginning of the world. Just like all three were working when Jesus was on the cross. Just like all three were working when the, when the church was established after Jesus had left and, and, and there was Peter and those other guys in the, in the house trying to figure out what they were going to do. All three active and working just like they are today. Now the second thing I want you to understand about the Trinity is this. The Father, Son, and Spirit are not three separate gods. The Father, Son, and Spirit are not three separate gods. They are all one God that operate in three distinct personalities. One who functions as three. Now, the folks that, uh, that are Mormons, they believe that they are three separate gods. And that's the way they operate and, and that's the way they worship. And that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, John 10.30 says this, I and the Father are one. This is what Jesus said. When Jesus was talking about it, he said, I and the Father are one. And in fact, that statement got him in a lot of trouble with the Pharisees because they didn't like to hear that. But that, that's the truth. Jesus is one with the Father. The Father is one with the Spirit. The Spirit is one with Jesus. And, and they all work together. One true God. The, the idea of worshiping one God is what made Israel unique to begin with. You remember, I don't know if you know this, but before, before the nation of Israel... Uh, most, what most people did is they worshipped many gods. And they worshipped trees and sun and moon and, and birds and whatever they saw or something that they could build and, and fashion out of wood. That's what people worshipped. And they might worship one god for a while and another god on another day. And then the children of Israel come along and God reveals himself to Abraham and all of a sudden they're worshipping one god and one god only and they were unique among all the people of the world. 
And so today, we need to continue to understand that that's our heritage. That's where we've come from. That Father, Son, and Spirit are not three separate gods, but they are one God. Now, I want to share, just, you know, kind of just open up to you here and share something with you. When, when we plan, when, when our staff, when we pray through and we plan what we're going to, what we're going to teach. One of the, we like to do series of messages like this. We like to talk for a month about one kind of topic, and we think that that's a better way to do it than you walking in here every week and you don't have any idea what I might, you know, shotgun kind of approach. But we like to do it this way. And, and, uh, and, and we try to plan several months in advance. And, and we got together back at the end of last summer, and we started talking about, okay, what are we going to do in 2011? And we were planning that. And I knew I wanted to do a series of messages about the nature of God and and, you know, talk about creation, which we're going to talk about next week, and talk about all that kind of stuff. And, and we said, as a group, we said, hey, the first, you know, week ought to be like God is, just who God is. And I said, great idea. Then I go by myself, and I go in my office, you know, a few weeks ago to start getting ready for March's messages, and I start praying, and I thought, who the heck do I think I am that I can stand up and in 30 to 40 minutes explain God, Right? And I and I really I really got feeling very overwhelmed and started thinking there's no way this needs to be like a 12 hour sermon and people aren't going to want to sit there that long and they're not even going to sit there for 40 minutes really and and so uh, so I you know I started feeling a lot of pressure and so I decided I said All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on two things the fact that there's one God and the fact that, that God is the Trinity that He's Father Son and Spirit but then I knew I was leaving out all kind of other good stuff like the nature of God and and uh, you know who who He is and that kind of stuff so I came across this scripture in Exodus. Exodus 34, if you've got your Bibles, if you're in Matthew, flip over to Exodus. It's the Old Testament. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And the reason I want to read this to you is this is God talking about himself. So instead of me trying to explain to you the nature of God, let's let God speak for himself. What does he want you to know about who he is, about how he operates, and, and what his nature and character is? And it says this in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Now this is when, there was a, it's a great story about when Moses wants to see God and God says, listen, you can't see me and live. If you see me, you're going to drop dead and I still got work for you to do on the earth. So he says, I want you to go back into the, into the, uh, what, what the, the cleft of the rock. You ever grew up in church singing that song? I love that song. Hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. But it's just like a, it's like a crack or, you know, a, a, an opening in, in the side of the mountain. He said, okay, slide back in there, okay? And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass by you, and you're not going to see me. You're going to just get a glimpse of who I am and just to get a small glimpse of my glory. And as God's passing by, he begins to talk to Moses, and he begins to say, this is who I am. So listen to this. This is who God wants you to know about who he is. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. When God speaks himself about his nature, he's telling you that he's a personal God. He's a God who cares. He's a God who's helpful. He's a God who's faithful to you when you're not faithful to him. 
He's a God who's not easily angered, which I think a lot of times we need to understand that because especially we read about the Old Testament God and we think, oh, if I step out of line, I'm going to tick him off and he's going to give me cancer or something, right? That's what we think. And then it says that he's a God who's dependable, he's a God who's forgiving, he's a God who's just, and he's a God who's truthful. That's who God is. He is all those things. At the same time that he's loving, he's also just. At the same time that he forgives sin, he also punishes sin. At the same time that he's helpful to you, he's also a God of wrath against people who have not given their lives to Jesus and who have not committed themselves to him. And so he is all of these things at one time. And then one of the best descriptions of God, 1 John 4, 8, look at it on the screen. Whoever does not love does not know God because, say this with me out loud, these three words, God is love. Say it again. God is love. It doesn't say God is loving. It says God is love. It doesn't say God has the capacity to love. It says that God is love. Any love that you experience in your life, that's a gift to you from God. If you're able to love your husband or your wife, that's God saying, I'm going to allow you to do that because I'm love. If you love your dog, God has said, I'm going to allow you to love this little animal that pees on your floor and you're going to love it anyway because that's a great example of how I love you when you continue to make me upset with you, right? And so God is love. He's not loving, but he is love. And what I want us to understand, not just this month, but I want us to understand our whole lives is this, and I hope you don't miss this, that it's all about him. It's all about serving the one true God. But we live so often like it's all about us. We make our plans like it's all about us. We, we spend our money like it's all about us. We work in our relationships and, 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 and go to work like it's all about us. But it's not. It's all about him and how he wants to deal with you. And, and if we can get to the point where we realize that the only thing that matters for our lives is how we live in response to and relationship with him. If we can get to that point where we realize that's what matters. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what position you attain. It doesn't matter uh, how much stuff you can gather. But what matters is that, that you're living your life in response to him and in relationship with him. Then you're going to begin to experience a fullness of life that you can never experience in any other way. It's all about him. You were created by him. You survive and continue to breathe, and your brain continues to function, and your heart continues to pump day in and day out because of Him. Any knowledge you have, you didn't get that because you just were smart enough to pick up a book. You got that because of Him. He gave you the ability to have that knowledge. If you have a home, it came from Him. If you have a job, it came from Him. All the stuff you have, you didn't get it because you were smart enough to get a credit card. You got it because of Him. He allowed you to have it, and He can take it away if He wants to. If you have a spouse, if you have kids, relationships with your grandparents, relationships with your grandkids, relationships with your neighbors, all of that came from Him. And you can be forgiven of sin because of Him. And that's the only way that you can. I want you to know today that if you are trying to find fulfillment and purpose in this life in any way outside of Him, you are never going to find it. 
You're not going to find it in relationships. You're not going to find it in a substance. You're not going to find it in money. The only way you're going to find fulfillment in this life, the only way you're going to experience true freedom in this life is through Him. Through the fact that He created you. Through the fact that after He created you, you chose willingly to rebel against Him. I don't know if you know that or not. But if you've committed a sin, you chose to commit that sin. It's your fault. It's my fault when I sin. And because I willingly choose to sin, I need someone to save me from that. And God provided the way when He came to earth in the form of Jesus. And now, as He begins to speak to you in the form of the Holy Spirit in your heart right now about what you need to do, all three parts of the Trinity are actively at work in your life telling you that you need to give your heart and your life to Jesus and not hold anything else back from Him. And you're never going to find fulfillment in any other way other than through Him. I want you to bow your heads. Our band's going to come up and I want you to bow your heads. And with your heads bowed there, if you know that you need to have a relationship with Him, that the one true God is calling out to you and you need to give your heart and your life over to Him, I want you to pray silently right now. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer, but I want you to pray silently right where you are and tell God that you want to give your life to Him. Tell Him that you believe that Jesus died on the cross and tell Him that you know that's your only hope. And so you do that right now, silently where you are, if you want to begin a relationship with the one true God. Now let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you've given us your word, the Bible. And I thank you that it's very, very clear that there is only one God, that you are the only God worth worshiping. You are the only God who is responsible for our existence on this earth. You're the only God who loves us unconditionally. And I pray that, that I would and that everyone else in this room would live our lives understanding that fact that we would quit living like it's all about us and we would begin to live like it's all about you because it really is. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the freedom to meet here together. Thank you for giving us voices to sing to you and hands to work for you and feet to go for you where you want us to go. And I pray that each and every one of us would do that this week. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.